Hey, hey y'all. y'all. And welcome to the Sorry Not Sorry Generation podcast, where we bring you a not-so-healthy dose of humor and reality as we get our hands dirty with some serious nostalgia and question everything. Let's dive in. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. It's Misty. It's Ani. And today we are doing a very interesting Tea Time episode for you today as we focus on archaeology. Where I ask Misty all the questions and she answers them like the good archaeologist that she is. Yay! <laughs> uh, for anyone who doesn't know, because I don't actually know, I think I've stated it on the podcast before, but I don't know if I've ever actually like given any details. Um, my majors in college are were archaeology for my undergrad and then history for my master's and I'm history again for the PhD that I'm working on. And when I was working on my undergrad, I did a field season as an archaeologist for NASA, where I worked on two historic sites and one prehistoric site, which included a graveyard, a Prohibition era hotel, and a Native American burial mound, and what we later found was Native American features. So I've definitely have done some field work and all that. So I, I'd like to say I more or less know what I'm talking about. I do not claim an expertise on any more or less. one whole area of history as that's pretty hard to do. So, oh, yeah. uh, and for my, my degrees and things like that, my history degrees, I don't specialize in a time period. I specialize in public history, which for anybody who doesn't know is museums, libraries, archives, things like that, specifically in accessibility for digital curation, so. You're not going to find me with the time period specialty. (laughs) But I have an extremely eclectic and wide knowledge of some very interesting and strange stuff from a lot of different places and a lot of different periods. So... Uh, I feel like you you, you sell yourself short, though, because anytime I have, like, a very random yet specific question... You answer it. <laughs> I usually I have an answer and then I always double check myself and I, I'll like I'll Google it just to make sure I, that I am correct before I answer you because I don't want to send you wrong information. But I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that's what this is. But let me cite my sources. <laughs> and I'm like, I always want a source to fall back on. So like if you want to read more about it, I can always just send you something. And I'm like, no, no, here you go. It's like here's information. So but yeah, I do have, I do have a very wide and eclectic knowledge of like all kinds of things and all kinds of places from like Florida history to why people ate mummies to like <laughs> why people all kinds mummies, of yes. stuff, like just all Ugh. kinds of stuff. So, um, all the way to like man-made islands in Japan because of like xenophobia and just like in the aztecs and just yeah it's it's really eclectic it's things i've picked up from just years of history classes and i will say my least you know favorite a lot about a lot i do and it's just like i i have a wide breadth of like knowledge it just might not be as deep as people who like have niche specialties so but i will like say my least who has her <laughs> fucking uh Aaron should have a degree in Egyptology at this point. In <laughs> Egypt, no, no, not just Egyptology. In yeah. Egyptology and um, the Romanovs. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, and and uh, the Romanovs. 
period of history. Yeah. She should, you should just get if, like, look, if Taylor Swift can get an honorary degree in like music or whatever it is, then Aaron should be able to get an honorary degree in like Romanoff history. So. Romanoff history. So yeah, uh. no, uh, but yeah, like I, I, my knowledge just covers a lot, a lot of different things from field archaeology to history itself to like the amount of papers I've written just on weird subjects, everything from like the man-made island off of the coast of Japan that was made specifically to trade with the Dutch East India Trading Company all the way to like Marie Antoinette and like a bunch of other shit, so... Really? They made an island just to trade with the Dutch? Because they didn't want anybody actually coming into Japan itself. <laughs> they made a fucking island. It's called Dejima. And it's just off the coast uh, near where Kyoto is. And they made this island for trade. And originally they were trading with other countries. But this was during the height of Japan's isolationist period. And eventually they decided they didn't like these other countries, kicked them out, and only de and decided only to trade with the East India Trading Company. So the only people coming in and out of this island were the Dutch. And they were the only people besides China that Japan traded with for like a century. And wow. when, when the East India Trading Company lost like a lot of its ports, it kept that one. It struggled because it kept that one because they're were the they were the only European country that were allowed to trade with Japan and their goods were so valuable because of it. Fuck. Yeah. So they had no. to continue trade with China though because Japan didn't put out enough of its own natural resources, but getting things from the East India Trading Company were more luxurious because they were from, you know, like far off places. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, basically, we've started the we've started the episode. Um, <laughs> question. Sure. Uh, why the isolation period? Japan. Japan was a very like it had a lot of national pride and things like that. It was very inwardly focused for a very long time. Uh, it didn't have great relations with some of the other neighboring countries and things like that. Um, so they were very focused, like, inward. There was a lot of conflict happening in Japan for a very long time. And it wasn't until right around, right before, like, the isolation period that they actually started unifying Japan as its own country. Oh. And they kind of just got super paranoid that people were going to come and, like, try to take their shit, which they weren't, <laughs> they're not wrong. Um but they the shogun the shogunites just kind of like just kind of decided to close their borders because they were people the japanese people were interested in leaving and going other places and that freaked them the fuck out and they didn't like that but they also really didn't like other people coming into japan even more so when they imposed their own self-isolation no one was allowed to come in, but no one was allowed to leave either. You were not allowed to leave the country. And you weren't allowed to even sell or trade maps. So, like, in their trade routes, you weren't allowed to sell maps of Japan. You weren't allowed, if you came into it, to make maps of Japan or even really write anything about locations or things that you saw because they would go through your shit before you left. And uh, 
So there's a lot of control, basically, is that they, they were very, the Shoguns wanted control and to keep their grip on their power that they had. Because they knew the rest of the world was massive and big and like all that stuff too. But in a lot of ways, especially as that isolationist period went on, their technology did not advance fast enough. And eventually when the isolationist period kind of like came to an end and like the United States was getting involved with Japan, like we had much more advanced weaponry than they did. And like, cause we had guns and things like that and they did not. And it was just kind of really a vast difference between their technology and our technology. And it's one of the reasons they decided to come out of isolation, uh, isolationism because they're kind of just looking at that. Like we are falling too far behind and there's too much value to be gained from the, it, getting right. in contact with the rest of the world, even if it's on our terms. So, but yeah, they were, they were very, it was a bit of a power, power thing and not wanting people to take things from them either. So that's insane though. Like you won't let it's a long believe. period of isolationism. So, and it was, and for the most part, like Japan did pretty well with their isolationist period. And, uh, they didn't like go into mass poverty or things like like you know kind of like in some ways like Cuba has gone in has had periods of isolationism, and but Japan thrived better than they did. Okay, all right. Some of the questions that I have written down for you. Okay. I, I already know some of them are ridiculous, but that's the point of them. I want to make one correcting statement. Well, it's not really correcting, but just an add-on. Um, Japan was isolated for three centuries from the sixteen hundreds. Yeah, from the 1600s, early 1600s, into the mid-1800s. That's Japan's Edo period. Because I know you and I hear that a lot, like in anime and shit like that. That's Japan's, like, Edo period. It's when a lot of those period pieces are all, like, put out. They did pretty well. They, But they have, they developed a very rich and deep culture because of it. And that was very ingrained in, like, in every person that was there. Because there was no, for so long, there was no outside influence. And so they were like, I get how in the sense that it's it's nice because like you just, you know, you're just so all consumed with everything that is your culture. Yeah. And then there's the reverse side of it too. Like, yeah, where you just fall so behind on the rest of the world and where it's going. Yeah. And like, it's not even just that too, but like when the government starts not behaving for the benefit of the people, there's nobody to fall back on. There's nobody else to rely on. Like, it's just you versus the government. And uh, there were definitely periods when the Edo government was not fun for the Japanese people. So, and God help I you found you were trying that. to fucking leave. Because they searched the shit out of people. There were very few people, people foreigners that were allowed into Japan. And uh, I believe they, that. Yeah, they were um, mostly the ones that were were the Dutch tradesmen. You know, were allowed to come in and they present their goods and stuff like that. And uh, then they would leave. And it was a heavily armed escort in and out. It's just like you are not taking anything. So, but right. there was there was only really one person who really got any information in and out, and like he had to make his own maps after he left. And stuff of like what he saw and things like that, yeah. So it was, is this it was, the sole person that like history relied on for so long on how to get to Japan? Um, it was less how to get to Japan and what Japan was like. 
Okay. Because after a while, like, people were just like, it's, we don't know anything about you. <laughs> like, what what's happening here? Like, what are these people like? Like, what do we know about them? And very few people were getting out. People were getting out because, you know, smuggling's a thing yeah. and it works. But it was, it was more of like, there was a curiosity to it because people were just kind of like, we don't know anything about the people here what they're like mm -hmm. why they're you know like like their language what their country like looks like outside of like the outline that you can see you know so it was very it was very strange in a lot of ways but uh he made a lot of efforts to kind of fill in the gaps basically like he he tried to learn more when he was there because he would come and go with the uh, trade ships and stuff like that. Okay. And he would spend a bunch of time like talking about them and things like that. And the shogunate system at the time was the Tokugawa government, uh, which was controlled by the shogun. And uh -huh. it was, they were just so xenophobic like the whole time. And they created specific policies that would keep people out and they had to even when they would have people they wanted to come in to speak with them like the officials for the dutch government or the yeah. dutch trade like there was a lot of like push and pull about where to have them meet whether or not to have them actually come to the capital have them come somewhere else who they should be meeting with and like all of these things and it was something that like this guy had taken a lot of notes for and references uh -huh. to and he had tracked a lot of that and he thought it was interesting but at the same time because they won't really talk to you it's hard to figure out what's just embellishment for the purposes of embellishment and then what is actually happening in japan right so it, it's very it was very interesting you have questions yes have you ever found a dinosaur have I ever found a dinosaur? I have not found a dinosaur. I get asked if I dig up dinosaurs a lot. And it's just, it's so hard just not to say, no, it's an entirely different field of study. But I, <laughs> I tell people, usually what I tell people is like less Jurassic Park, more Indiana Jones. When I try to explain <laughs> the difference between paleontology and archaeology to people, because people are like, oh, so like you want to dig up dinosaurs? I'm like, no. No, I don't actually. That's no? a whole different field. No, I don't want to dig up dinosaurs. I want to dig up pottery. Give me a good old potsherd. Like, let's go. But I'll leave the raptor claws to Aaron and <laughs> and me and Doctor Sadler. Uh, but I will, I I will only be digging up stuff. I dig up stuff. Okay. Uh, is your job dangerous? Uh, I, I did encounter a rattlesnake on my archaeology dig, so like I guess it depends on your definition of dangerous. Um, uh, archaeology can certainly be dangerous. I've had professors that have been like held up at gunpoint before during archaeology digs, uh, and one of them had been doing a dig in South America, and it had gotten so bad in the area that they'd been forced to leave and not come back for a few field seasons because it was so oh. dangerous. And at one point, their one of their like the local guides that they had hired and everything like that that would and they would people who'd come work and stuff like that just flat out told them one day like 
you need to leave because if you don't okay. you're just probably not so it's, it's like if everybody needs to leave it's time to go so yeah it's it's it can be dangerous through like animals and like being bitten by things and like the sometimes the elements and stuff like that but it, you also have to really be able to like pay attention to the local government situation as well because yeah yeah sometimes you're gonna have to leave and maybe not come back and like it's not great but your safety is far more important than anything you're finding in the ground so okay not that, not that everyone would agree with that statement but all right that's yeah. that's something yeah um all right what do you do if you find something at like in a public area like the beach what if you found so, like a shard of bone or something so it kind of depends on what like in the united states that will vary from state to state if i i can get a like five dollar fossil digging license here in florida and like it's no big deal and it'll more or less let me keep what i find um okay and like if you go to the beach and stuff like that and you're finding and if you find like a piece of like fish spine or something like that nobody really cares if you want to keep it or like whatever you want to do with it um if you found like a human bone okay then there's laws and like then it depends that people you're gonna have to figure out how old it is and it, depending on how old it is who's getting involved i mean obviously if it's recent the cops are gonna get involved uh but if it's if it's ancient or it's older and stuff like that you'll usually either have to involve um some kind of university for their archaeologists or you'll have to uh involve museums or native american tribes depending on what they think it is and things like that um but if you're just finding like animal stuff on the beach nobody really minds if you find artifacts on the beach that's different because pretty much no state's gonna let you keep that like if you if, especially okay. if it's native american if you find a native american like arrowhead or a pot shirt or something like that it'll depend from state to state most of them will either ask you just to depending on where you are and how numerous the stuff is if it's a place where things don't occur very often they'll probably want to look at it they probably won't let you keep it um depending on how active like or involved the local native american tribes are um or if they're just super common then they uh -huh. might just not they really might not care uh but like if you go to yellowstone for instance people find arrowheads in yellowstone a lot and they ask you just to put them back don't pick them up leave them where they are that's called leaving something in situ and that's where you leave it where you find it without picking it up okay because there's so many of them they're not adding anything to anybody's historical records but also there's not something you can keep or take with you okay because it's property of the native american tribes and or depending on where you are the united states government so you can't take those things out so it really just kind of depends on what you're finding interesting okay so yeah yeah if you find like if you go to the beach and you find like a piece of ancient pottery and stuff like that your best bet is to present it to a museum or your a local university and that way you, if you for some reason like you put it all online about all this you know this cool thing that you found and like you don't get the united states government knocking at your door <laughs> like hey Fair. You know, you, 
you got some quick girl like hey you just blast that all over instagram and that's, that that's a felony very very fucking fair because that's yeah. something i'd probably do be like i just put it on instagram and be like anyone know what the fuck this is yeah i mean like in some ways like you could plead that you know i had no idea what this was and that's fine but once you like hey i found this like this cherokee like piece of pottery and it's just like people are like yeah so uh, have it you shouldn't have it (laughs) so you should not be having this no no it's pretty illegal to own those kinds of things anyway unless they were there are legal ways to obtain those kinds of things, like especially when it comes to something simple, like like an arrowhead or something like that, which are there's just so many, depending on where you go. Um, there are places that do sell them and things like that. And depending on where those are, how real or not, you should consider that they are. Like I can make an arrowhead. I had classes to teach me how to like make stone tools and stuff like that. So I can make okay. one. Doesn't make it real. So. Okay. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, by the way, that fish spine that I found at the beach mm-hmm. shriveled up into nothing. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I bet it smelled the high heaven, too. It really didn't. No? Like, okay, if you stuck your nose in it, yes, it smelled like brine. But, like, it didn't stink up my room or anything. Well, that's good. Yeah, like, you had to, like, have it right here that like, you're gonna snort it like it's cocaine and make... <laughs> So you get that brine smell, but otherwise... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that fishy cocaine. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Gotta, gotta get that fishy cocaine going in the morning. <laughs> Everything about that just sounds awful. Oh, my God. All right. Okay. If I go scuba diving or snorkeling and I see a wreck... And I see stuff, like, mm-hmm. whether it's jewels or whatever. Yeah. Why can't I pick it up? Like, why it's can't I touch it? Depending on where the water is, it is immediately, like, where in the water you are, it is immediately property of the United States government. Um, like, from the word go, it is the property of the United States government. To look for these kinds of wrecks, you have to have very specific permits. Uh-huh. And you have to be have very special licenses in order to do this. To retrieve any of it, you have to jump through so many goddamn hoops to, in order to take any of it or to pick it up or to make a profit off of any of it. And you have to go through permits and licenses and all kinds of things. And being a quote-unquote treasure hunter is a lot of work. Um, they do that for a couple of reasons. One... A lot of like some of these wrecks that get found are very old uh-huh. and contain like historical information and stuff like that and like historical pieces and items from like say when the spanish were taking gold from south america and a lot of there's a lot of historical information from those and things like that also some of those countries will still have claim to them like spain in a lot of ways has claimed to those spanish ships that sunk so the you're involving international governments and things like that. And there's there's some laws in like international waters where it's a little better for the treasure hunter, but 
if it's found close enough to the shore of the United States, it does just automatically belong to the government. And you kind of have to fight for that right to what's there. So, and even then they usually don't always let you keep everything. Okay. There are certain things you will have to hand over to the government. They, like they tend to let you keep the money, like the gold and stuff like that. Okay. It's usually the artifacts they're more interested in. For instance, we could use Oak Island as an example. Okay. Um, Oak Island is an island off the coast of Nova Scotia, not too far from Halifax, uh, up in Canada. And there has been a very long series of treasure hunting happening on Oak Island, which currently includes television show. And there's this legend that there's a bunch of treasure buried somewhere on the island. And people have been treasure hunting there for decades upon decades upon decades all the way like roosevelt was there and looked for for gold okay. like it's people have been doing it for a while people have been living on the island at one point somebody tried to fucking level a good chunk of the island um and the government of nova scotia is like the current people who are there are the um laginas and the the, okay. the lagina brothers they own the island they own all but like two lots on the island but they are allowed by their government to keep any gold that they find any gold silver jewels like that kind of stuff monetary value that's theirs they find it that's theirs that's treasure hunting laws in nova scotia um in fact laws that were passed specifically because of oak island um however they find pottery they find bullets they find ship pieces they find like ancient crosses and ox shoes and things like that that does not belong to them that belongs to the government of nova scotia because that's historical information and the okay. historical properties belong to the government in order to protect the history and things like that like they found um they in fact they came across at one point if two pieces of native american pottery and it completely shut down all of their archaeological excavations because they found two pieces of Native American pottery and they were no longer allowed to dig. And now they have to go through a long series of evaluations to find out whether or not there's anything else. Despite the oh fact boy. that the thousands of pieces that they found, two of them were Native American. So they're allowed to do all the treasure hunting that they want, looking for the gold, and they're entitled to keep all of it. They are not entitled to keep the other stuff. And they they end up putting a lot of it on display. They have their own little museum and things like that. They have their own historians and they hire their own archaeologists and things like that. So it's all handled well. But it has to be handled by these people who are professionals, the geologists, the archaeologists, the historians and stuff like that, in order for them to continue to do this. Because if they didn't, then you're going to have a problem with the government. Okay. All right. Okay, what if I find something in my yard? That, again, kind of depends on what it is. If it's Native American, it's probably not going to be something you can keep. Um, because in the United States, we have NAGPRA uh, laws that were specifically made to protect indigenous peoples and their stuff. And if you find, for some reason, something from the gold rush... For example, you find historical pieces from the gold rush and it's on your property. Yeah, it's pretty much yours. Um, okay. If you find 
And like most of the things that you find like on your own property, assuming you own the land, that's pro it's mostly yours. It kind of will depend a little bit on what it is, but it'll mostly be yours unless it's Native American. Then it's most likely not going to be yours. Yeah. Just because okay. we have very specific laws for that. Now, when you say if you own it, does that mean like you're still currently paying off your mortgage or like you have no mortgage? It's less technically about the house, but the land itself. Like if, uh, if you own the plot of land, if you don't, then the city's going to have more say in that. Oh, okay. 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 I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. So like if I went out and I bought like 10 acres of property and I found something on it, then that could belong to me. But if I don't own the physical land itself, then I'll have some rights in this because, like, I'm involved in the property. But the city, the state, and the government are all going to have more of a foothold if they don't, if I don't physically own the land itself. Okay. Okay. Um, do you ever find things in? I guess it would be a burial in any sense because it's you're digging something up mm -hmm. that shouldn't be there all the time all the time all the okay. time we're constantly encountering things and it, it just like how why like there was a burial <laughs> that was uncovered not that long ago like there's constantly we're finding things that are challenging our perception of gender roles at the time job like career and like job and duty distribution and things like that like there was a really long time when people didn't think there were female uh viking warriors and then we found started finding graves with warriors tools and markings and like items and stuff like that in women's graves and you had to you eventually just have to give in to the fact that okay they had female warriors and so there's we're constantly finding things that are challenging what we understand about the past and realizing for as different as people are today, like from one person to the next is just as different as they were back then. And there's always going to be somebody challenging something. So it's odd. It's when you find something that's odd and doesn't fit in, you have to decide whether or not this is an outlier or if this is something we need to look at that fits with other littler pieces that we've found and we need to change how we look at this. And we've done that a lot with a lot of gender roles in the past and things with like leadership and different, cause like we've found graves that just denote women having leadership roles that we didn't think they had in these societies or warrior roles. We've found men's graves that have things that denote what we thought were more traditionally women's roles. Turns out they were just, everybody was doing it. And like, sometimes you just, you were buried with it. And like, we just hadn't found a lot of people that were buried with these things, and, but that's what was going on. And then you try to find it and connect it to back it up. But we're constantly finding things. Like we found some woman's grave who was like six feet tall and had like a metal eye. Oh yeah, and, the obsidian eye. Yeah, yeah she was, and like, uh, she's like Iranian some priestess. Princess. Yeah. Well, there was a priestess and she was yeah. like six feet tall and she had like the the one metal eye and she's like she like we had no context for that and then you have, so you have to reevaluate it and look at it and be like okay because it happened and it's here yeah. and it's real so it's our job to figure it out because it happened so like there was 
for the longest time, we thought that when we had hunter, hunter gatherer societies, we thought the roles were divided in between gender and that the men would hunt and women would gather. And the more we find, the more we prove ourselves to be wrong. And that's not true because hunting did not take place every day. It, it might've taken a couple of days when you did it, but you weren't uh -huh. doing it every day. So those men didn't just sit around the whole rest of the time when like, but only going on an expedition for hunting once every couple of weeks and gone for two or three. They didn't just sit on their ass the whole time. No, like everybody hunted and everybody gathered. We have evidence of women who were hunters at the time and who would go hunting. We have evidence of the men doing gathering as well. And so you have to take that evidence of like what you find and reevaluate your perceptions. And unfortunately, there are concepts like men are hunters and women are gatherers that you just have to try and break from the social norm yeah. and social expectations. And it doesn't always work. So like, like that guy who put out the theory that alpha wolves were a thing and he put it in one paper, immediately proved himself wrong, and has spent the rest of his career trying to prove himself wrong. And yet an entire ocean of toxic masculinity has been presented on the concept that the guy who created the idea himself proved wrong. <laughs> Just like, because that apparently wow. was only true under very specific circumstances in captive wolves, not in actual, like, Free-roaming wolves. Free wolves. Yeah. All right. I started to say free-range wolves, and I'm like, they're not chickens. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. They're not chickens. So I want to make a sticker that has like a picture of a wolf on it now and says, I'm not a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cage-free. Yeah, cage-free. <laughs> uh, do you ever find colors in bones? Colors in bones? Yeah, like if they're just there's got there's a different color in them like if there's like a green or like a blue or a red or a whatever not particularly by the time like bones that we find in archaeology we get to them they're pretty devoid of a lot like they've gone through so much so much like the decay process and surviving for hundreds to thousands of years um i've never seen any records of weirdly colored bones that didn't involve like you could prove it was because of a disease or something like that oh. this person had so but i've never seen anything where they, they couldn't figure out what kind okay. of stuff like that was so all right what's the importance of symbols in archaeology um you mean like historical symbols like w when we find stuff and has symbols on it or just anything that has to do with symbols so in archaeology we pay attention to symbols because symbols like let's take the cross for an example the cross is going to tell you the symbol finding the symbol of the cross on something is going to tell you a lot about the origins the history and where you like where to look basically for uh -huh. context the symbols are usually a good starting point for context if you don't know anything about the site a lot of times you'll look at something and you'll your first assumption is going to be look at the history of the immediate area but when you look at places like say the united states for example we've had so many different countries like come in and out so you have to look more at the symbolage and like 
the designs and the styles of things in order to get a better idea of like where they're from. Symbols are usually a good way to understand in context for things. Um, and beyond just symbolage, because you won't always find symbolage, you can just look at styles, clothing, armor, boots, like the type of goods, where they came from. Like we have huge charts that are dedicated to all of the different types of arrowheads that exist in the United States. And there are a lot, but they'll tell you who created them, where geographically they were, how long they did it for, and a gigantic maps of very specific styles and places and what materials they were made out of. So symbols are just one way to get, get context for things, basically. Okay. <sighs> how do you determine the age of something that you find? Um, it depends on what you're looking at. Uh, if you're using wood, there's times you can use dinochronology for like with tree rings and stuff like that, depending on if the piece is big enough or shows any of the tree rings. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different ways, like isotope analysis and stuff like that for like the breakdowns and, and things like that. Um, if you have things like rocks, for example, that mm -hmm. you can't date through analysis in that way because like i can crack a rock in half but i can't tell you like when i cracked a rock in half scientifically it's just it's a rock oh um so like you can with like metals and stuff like that but if i just go out and pick up a rock from outside i can't like i could crack it in half today or it could have been a cracked in half like 100 years ago and there's nothing really going to tell you the difference uh so you have to kind of figure out in an overarching timeline of things, when you find something that has context in it. Um, people have been taking historical records for like a really long time. So we have a lot of references to go off of, of like, you know, well, we found this boot, great. That's a style that was worn in like 1720s France. So we know that, or like you find a, a piece of armor and like we can date that by yeah. based on the style alone to like 2000 BC China or something like that. Now, so, how do you do that? Okay, I know that I've seen people, or at least you know, I've seen the shows and stuff where they'll dig something up and they'll like, it'll be like a piece of fucking wood or like a piece of clay and they'll be like, oh, this is from this and this era. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? <laughs> Uh, a shit ton of experience, in all honesty, of just looking at a lot of them in context of knowing, like, hey, you know, like, like if you go to a museum or you go to, like, um, a university and they have, like, all these stores of things and they'll, they'll keep, like, buckets full of stuff and that are categorized uh -huh. and, like, eventually you learn to look at it and be like, yeah, you know, that's what this is. Um, it, for like little pieces of like petrified wood and stuff like that. That's just, that tells me you have, in your career have just come across a lot of petrified wood. And so you know how to identify it. Um, <laughs> knowing the different types of like pottery and stuff like that, you can study for that. Um, when we were at our archaeology dig, we would find a couple of different types of pottery. So eventually at first you kind of look at it and just like, how do you tell it's pottery at all? And then eventually you learn how to denote the difference between this is a rock this is mud and this is pottery and uh 
it's and because the way you tell a potsherd first and foremost is by looking at the side of it the side of it mm -hmm. okay i'm going to show you this real quick this is not the main way but it okay. is effective there we go okay so these are potsherds and for our listeners at home i've shown ani a picture of four different pieces of pottery that unless you know what you're looking for does kind of look like rocks um so these four pieces here let's look at this upper right hand corner one first okay. thing you can really tell that's going to denote this as pottery rather than rock is the pattern there's a pattern on this now a lot of pottery isn't necessarily going to have a pattern to it but when these were made they were made using a specific technique there there are a lot of different ones there's like coiling and stuff like that where you put stuff over the outside to keep the pottery in its shape when you're baking it yeah um, it looks it like leaves, a, it looks like fabric like it's, like it's a grid there's it was like there was coils that were used with like ropes and stuff like that too there was like i don't know if ropes is the right word i mean it wasn't metal but like you, there's a coiling technique too to like how you make it and stuff like uh -huh. that. And that's how you get like these patterns on okay. it. Now, the main way that when we were finding the difference between rock and pottery when I was doing my archaeology dig is actually not to look at the top or the bottom. Now, great. It's great if there's there is a pattern on it or there's images or there's like something written on it or something like that. But a lot of times you're not going to find things that have these symbols or these any of this writing or anything like that you're going to find things that look a little more plain like these ones here so one of these of this potsherd you can see these there's just lines but they're yeah. grooves so like that could be a rock you're not really sure you kind of have to learn the different types of pottery and what okay. kind of to expect in order to be able to pick that up and identify it like yeah that's not a rock that's not natural. That's a piece of pottery. But then you have this one on the upper left-hand corner. It's just smooth. It fucking could just look like a rock, in all honesty. But when you turn these on its side, they're going, and, like, the little edges, like, where it's broken and stuff uh -huh. like that, are going to look a lot different. They almost look kind of layered in a way. And so they look a lot different than the way a piece of rock is going to. So you kind of have to learn to identify that look and there's just it's just practice it's just experience it's going to teach you these kinds of things um like that when i first start started doing my archaeology dig like none of us could identify pottery from rock because it just looks so damn similar and then after like a month or so you're just like that's pottery that's rock that's pottery that's, <laughs> that's a different kind of pottery that one's special we got to put it over there and it's just something that you have special. to do from we experience put it over there yeah, and it's just something you kind of have to do from experience, in all honesty. Like, it's it's something that takes a lot of time. Like, I watched that Oak Island show, and one of the people <laughs> they have as an expert is Gary Drayton, and he's a metal detection expert. And he'll just pick fucking something up that just looks like absolutely nothing to me. And he'll be like, oh, do you know what this is? And give a long history. <laughs> then they get an expert to identify it, and he is correct. And it's just like, well, <laughs> shit. But that's because he's been metal detecting and finding this shit Damn. for like 40 years. And it's just like, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Hot damn. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, sure. That's impressive. And so, you know, like it, it, that is more or less like I get impressed 
watching people do it and you're just kind of like okay how did you know that like (laughs) i wouldn't have known that how did you know that and it, it is it's just something that eventually you see like that people do and from experience and it's just it's kind of impressive so okay okay so next question going on a technical route here what are the various functions of archaeology well there's a lot of different like functions of archaeology archaeology in the united states is a subfield of anthropology it is not a subfield everywhere you go in like the uk for example it's separate from anthropology okay um but the purposes of archaeology is to look for items of historical importance and put the history to them put the context to it and help piece together the parts of the past and because like understanding the past and how it works gives us more context for what's happening in our own lives like the way our society is today in any country in any culture isn't something we made recently it is something that's been building upon itself from one generation to the next since the very beginning and to understand why our societies are the way they are or why our cultures are the way they are you have to understand what put them together how did we get to this point and archaeology can help you figure that out and can tell you what the past was like and by learning what the past is like it teaches you why the present is the way it is okay okay that makes sense um all right who was the first ever archaeologist in the world Ooh. well (laughs) hmm Ask me to remember the names of old people. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it it's it so depends on your definition of like archaeology. The modern guy, and like we say modern because modern in archaeology terms is a lot different than what everyday people use. Right. The guy who's considered like the father of archaeology was from, I think, this late. 1700s and he was flinders petrie and he did a lot of stuff in like egypt and egyptology and stuff that was like his area of focus and he's probably the one you would consider like the father of like the founder of archaeological practice for the purposes of like actual archaeology and like museums and stuff like that and like trying to figure out what stuff is so i think that's probably who you would who you would go with and that was like the 1700s but like we were trying to figure out what fossils were for like a really long time and like for for a long time people thought fossils were just like things left over from ancient mythical creatures or ancient (laughs) times or gifts from the gods or just didn't fucking know because there was a long period of times when we didn't know what the bones look like and stuff like that so if you're you're looking for a original archaeologist by the terms of what we consider archaeologists today petri's probably a good example we've been digging up stuff for a really long time like okay there were ancient civil like ancient egypt was old to ancient greece 
And there were people yeah. who went to study that. And, like, that's so... That's still, like... God, that's still... It's mind-boggling. Blows my mind. Yeah, it's bizarre as hell. So, like, archaeology, in the way that we consider it now, is, like, a science and is, like, a historical study of in the way that we call it today. That would probably be him. But people have been studying human history for as long as there's been humans to study it. I just always picture Indiana Jones shit, like... I mean, that's that's valid. That's what There's, I want it to be. Like, because you can attribute... Like, we have historical records of people in ancient times studying ancient other ancient civilizations uh-huh. all the way back into, like, B.C.s. Like, thousands of B.C.s and stuff like that that are... Um, There were people studying ancient Mesopotamia whose societies that these people were from is now considered ancient and lost by our standards because like ancient Mesopotamia and from like 20,000 or 2000, like BC and stuff like that analyzed by later civilizations in like 500 BC. And so like, it, it was a very, very long time. Um, one of the, oldest records we have of people studying ancient civilizations would have been one of the Babylonian empires. Like ancient Babylonia was studying the ancient empires. We know that. So they have records and stuff like that. Like King uh, Nabondus, he was studying for ancient uh, or for Babylonia of some of the ancient civilizations too. Like we have records of that. Um, We have a lot of ancient records of people just trying to figure out what other ancient shit is because like to cleopatra the pyramids were ancient so and then later people would study cleopatra who then studied the pyramids so still fucking blows my mind yeah it'll never not be a weird moment of realizing that cleopatra was closer to us than she was the building of the ancient uh, egypt it's it's fucking hell weird as hell Uh, okay what slash where slash who is the oldest urban civilization? Off the top of my head, I'm going to go with Mesopotamia. Um, I mean, Damascus in Syria yeah. is like 11,000 years old. Like, it's really old. And we have they're like Argos, Athens, and things like that. That's really, really old. Is it? Tehran, older. Um, I want to fact check myself. So, I, I was like when I originally I, I said the Mesopotamians, and that is correct. And it's uh, they are the oldest large civilization we've ever heard, uh-huh. like that ever was. It was as far back as twelve thousand years ago. It was about ten thousand BC. So you're you're looking at quite quite a while ago. Um, it takes up parts of modern day iraq and other places like that um and we still find like some stuff here and there it's their cities and their areas are the oldest ones that we have record of we aren't quite positive whether or not there's things before mesopotamia um but mesopotamia is a city and it like is for what our definition of a city is and like a large population and established civilization by our definition of it now uh-huh um so you're looking at mesopotamian 
cities, states, and things like that. Okay. All right. Okay, what else we got? What is the oldest human artifact? Do we know? Uh, yeah, Lucy. Lucy's Lucy. Lucy is the oldest one we have, I believe. Lu- uh, Lucy, I believe, is the oldest one we have that we define. Who is Lucy? Because my first thought was that sounds like a clone sheep. Uh, no, Lucy was a humanoid. Um, she's found in Europa. She is 3.2 million years old. Million? Yeah, she is 3.2 million years old. She is very complete, but she is the oldest human remains that we've ever found. I gotta look this up. Yeah, you can just look up Lucy. We have a <clears throat> fair amount of her remains, but she's the oldest one we've ever found. And I would like to state for Mesopotamia, the cities and things that you're looking at for them would be places like Ur, which is just spelled U-R. I mean, there's nothing left of it now, but that like that's kind of the areas that you, like the places that you'd look at as ancient uh for ancient mesopotamia places like ur azur uh lagash i think is one but uh ur for for sure <laughs> ur for sure oh it's in iraq okay the city of ur ur but yeah um she's lucy is we have a lot of lucy we i mean like she's not complete by any stretch of the imagination but she we found her years ago but uh she is the oldest human that we have evidence she's upright she has the human like proportions that we would associate with being related in an ancestor of humans and as she's like she's upright she's got the four limbs and the and the head and everything she's not as upright as we are but she's more upright than some of the species that we don't quite classify as humanoid she was between 12 and 18 years old when she died mm-hmm. which was probably pretty good for back then wow now is what she she would be before or after the the other one i asked you about that i watched the was an end the people like the not humans that look closest to human they're mm, th- th- I need to know which one you're talking about. There's many. The one where they found them in South Africa. They, they found their cave where they would take their dead. Oh. You're probably talking about like Neanderthals and stuff like that. But there was one specific one that was found like in 2013. Naledi? I want to say that's, that's even what it is. It, it probably is because burial ideas came they're more recent than lucy uh human uh homo naledi is naledi yes naledi is from about three hundred thousand years ago so much much okay much more recent so, after yeah got it huh yeah it took a while for like the concepts of burials to kind of come around of any any kind but but then again, finding Lucy was extremely rare. So we don't really know what Lucy was doing. Oof. We have, we recently, I think it was recently found human footprints that were really old too, but that they're, they're a lot more recent. They're about 21,000 years old uh, for in the United States. 
And that Whoa. was a game changer because we didn't have anything before like 13, 14,000 years ago. And uh, so finding that was huge that we could date them back as far as between 21 and 23,000 years ago. But yeah, our oldest records of people are, are Lucy. She's, uh, she's millions upon millions of years old. Like we as a species have been evolving for a very, very long time. And cause we did not just pop up out of nowhere. And like, we weren't always bipedal either. Like we were shaped more in the way that like the great apes are. And slowly we just got more and more and more upright based on, uh, what we assume is changing climate conditions because it was easier to deal with heat when you were upright. Um, and there was, it was less strain on you as well. But interestingly enough, there are parts of us that have not evolved as easily or as quickly as the rest of us in like the terms of like bipedalism. Um, the reason so many people today have crooked teeth is uh -huh. because we have too many. Our teeth are not shrinking in the same rate that our jaw is. Oh. And so you that's why we have so many people that have crooked teeth is because our teeth used to be much bigger. And so did our oh. jaws. And they used to be much thicker. But our jaws are shrinking at a faster rate than our teeth are, which makes our mouth jammed in with too many teeth. And why so many people have to take those, have those back molars taken out is because they have too many teeth. And it's for the size of our jaws and our jaws are shrinking and becoming thinner at a faster rate than we're getting rid of the teeth. Why are our jaws shrinking? Because it doesn't take as much effort to eat the food that we eat anymore. Because before you're just straight chewing on like just uncooked meats and uncooked like vegetables and like tough, like think of like going outside and how much effort it would take to eat like a vine or how much effort it would take to eat just a raw chunk of meat or to bite through like animal flesh, like raw animal flesh and how much no, effort no, it takes not. to chew. Yeah. You're not, you're not wrong. Yeah. So, cause like that effort, it would, it took so long to eat. You had to have these huge teeth and these really powerful jaws in order to like crunch and break these things down. And uh, so nowadays our teeth are a heck of a lot smaller, um, but because the density of our jaws has gotten the bones like in our face have been able to get thinner and smaller, it has made more room for our brains because the density of your skull has also gotten thinner. It is allowed for more brain growth, which is one of the reasons we've become so much smarter over time. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And Mind the, like, blown at every corner here. The invention of like being able to cook the meat, because we didn't do that in the beginning. Cooking the meat made it a lot easier to eat, which also allowed us to get a lot more nutrients out of it. And it was a lot healthier. So it had a rapid impact of growth on the human brain. So we had rapid periods of growth because of that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Where am I? Aha. What is the most intriguing archaeological artifact ever found? Um, I mean, we found some weird shit. Uh, <laughs> like, there's been some weird... I mean, we don't know what Stonehenge is. Like, to be entirely fair, we have no fucking clue 
what it does, what it was for, or why there sometimes you just find random mass graves. Uh, we've found, I mean, just ever found anything that we've ever found to date. Like, what do you think is one of the most intriguing things? Like, I have one on the off top okay. of my head. What do you think is the most the, intriguing? The Antikythera. The Antikythera. Yeah, I think it's really cool, and that's not just because I watched the Indiana Jones movie. Like, I think the whole concept of that and the fact that it exists is interesting. I, for some reason, can't picture what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, the mechanism. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. The mechanism is pretty weird. That's fair. Uh, I think the the map, the very accurate map, the Mayans kept, or the calendar that the Mayans kept. Oh, the calendar. Weird. I mean, that's pretty weird. Uh, that, the, that the world ends in twenty twelve. <laughs> Which, when they t- accounted for leap years, turned out it happened in like twenty twenty or or no twenty the year two thousand or something like that or two thousand and one. Um. I think the Terracotta Warriors is absolutely astounding. Oh, in China, right? Yeah, like that's just fucking and their very first emperor. And he has all of this and like they're oh, the faces are are different, the horses are different. Like the fact that they just found that underneath some rice paddy fields. Like Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's like you must be kidding. Um the batteries, the, like the Baghdad batteries, that's pretty cool. Batteries? Uh, yeah, like they're not necessarily like batteries the way we call them batteries, but they're these uh, like, it, like they, it was very, like they're very strange. It was in a vase of some sort and it had like this rod sticking out of it, but there was like metal wrapped around it. And it like, they think it might've functioned the way a battery did. And it's not, they're not entirely huh. sure, but it's very strange. Um, I think the Rosetta Stone is absolutely fascinating. And the only reason we can decipher ancient Egyptian is because we know what ancient Greek is. And so that's where the uh, Eastern Island statues that we, cannot figure out for certain how they why? got them to where they were like we've there's theories on why they're there and like that's fine those stones come that they're made out of are very specific types of stones that come from miles away and there is no evidence that these stones were carved at the location they were put in but rather they were carved and there and then brought which means they were able to travel safely and people have been theorizing forever about how they managed to do that and then put them like plant them in the ground because it was just just thousands of pounds and then trying to move that like we're not a (laughs) hundred we argue all the time about how the pyramids were built we argue all the time about how how stonehenge these things are built and it's just like because they brought those stones from, like, Wales. Stonehenge, yeah. 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 Welsh rocks, and it's just like, why? And they're in Scotland. Yeah, right? it's just like, yeah. they're, yeah, they're not there. Uh, the Nazca Lines. We didn't have the an explanation Nazca for lines, that yeah. for a very long time. Their working theory now is that people walked those lines into existence as part of rituals uh, for, like, 
maybe they're not sure like holidays ceremonies or something but a lot of people walking that exact same path flatten the grass that's our best guess which okay but hey they're sense. huge and they they look like animals like yeah how? Like, that's our best guess. That is our absolute best guess. And, I mean, there's books and languages we can't decipher that we don't know anything about. There's, like, there are whole societies that have, like, so much written words and text. But we can't tell you what they mean because we don't know how to read them. Like, that, that'll always be insane to me. So, yeah, there's a lot of funky shit out there. Like, we, we've found some weird, some weird stuff. Okay. All right, what's your most intriguing find that you've ever found? Um, I want to say the unmarked graves are probably the wildest thing I've, I've come across. Um, when we were doing the archaeology dig for NASA, we did, one of them what we did was a graveyard, and... One of my personal responsibilities was to use soil probe testing um, to find unmarked graves. <clears throat> because there were several that were missing in this graveyard that we thought were there, but we weren't sure where, where they were. And my job was literally just to take mm -hmm. a giant like, metal rod and like try and determine where they are. And I believe, I have no idea if Tom confirmed this later, like he, because he was supposed to get... Uh, GPR testing done on it later to prove whether or not there was anything there. But I did at one point conclusively find the dimensions of what appeared to be a coffin. Oh. So that was pretty cool. Um, we found something that surprised the crap out of the Tom, the boss for my yeah, uh, field school. From the dig. Yeah. Uh, we found a Native American feature in the middle of the woods when we did a little bit of digging and we found the remains of a structure where Ooh. there was not supposed to be any structures. We found the remains of like a hearth and uh, posts that would have been used to keep like the housing structure up. And they were prehistoric Native American and they were not supposed to be there. And it absolutely, it, we, that was one of the last digs that was supposed to be done at that area. They were going to close it off. It is eroding currently and is going to be underwater within a few years. And we we were just about to close it out and leave the whole area. And we found that and it has reshaped the whole idea of the area. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess my, I haven't dug it, but my most intriguing find is touching the Parthenon. I mean, that's pretty cool. Parthenon's pretty cool. Yeah. And okay, how do you determine where to dig? Um, it depends. It's not a whole lot that we like go and just like start digging somewhere. <laughs> Usually there's when you do an archaeology dig, you have to do research first to figure out where you where you're going to dig and why. But we usually don't just go into a completely blank area. Usually it's because you found something on the surface or there's historical records that there's something here or you're looking for something specific. Usually you use like historical records and say, hey, you know, there was something here at some point. We're looking for evidence of these people or you find something on the surface. Like you can do surface surveys and you can find pottery, you can find remains, you can find like leftover pieces of, of building, of structures, of just random things you find like on the surface. Like when we were doing our dig, we found, when we were looking, we were looking 
for the Prohibition era hotel that had been completely leveled because of missile testing that had been done by NASA. And okay. we had an idea of where it was, but the stretch of area we had was like a mile in every direction. So like we had a, and that had been narrowed down from over time over several miles instead. And we had one photograph to work off of, which did absolutely nothing for nothing. you because it's just like, yeah, here's the structure that's not here anymore. And none of the, like the fauna or the like or the flora looks the same. So like, there we go. So what we do is like you walk in tra what is called transects. And so they're just, you cordon off strips and you walk right in a certain amount of distance from one end to the next, you do surface surveying, looking for anything that's on the surface, anything that you just happen to walk by. We found a lot of things for that one. There was a lot of like jugs of old alcohol bottles. Uh -huh. oh. uh, we found um, there was old pieces of dock that had been there from when the water was higher and like the beach was closer. Uh, we found like there were bones from like whales and stuff like that that were around, things like that. Um, but you walk the transects lines and then you look at the surface surveys, you mark them, collect anything that needs collecting. And you did as you're walking every certain amount of distance, you are digging uh, test pits, which is usually about six feet down, about a foot by a foot. And you are just digging to see if you find anything, just a random test, just to see if you find anything. And you test, you take soil samples, you compare it in what's called a Munsell book. And you can date the dirt by the color with the book. Um, so you just take the dirt, slap it in the book. You close the certain section of the book, match the color with the color that's written on the book, and it tells you what year that dirt is, um, which is very interesting. <laughs> and it, it sounds so simple, and it is. And it's weird that it's that simple, but it is. Uh, but if you find anything, you can use that dirt chart to date, like, what range that should be in. Like, hey, this is definitely between 19... Hundred and like 1950, you know, and all that. Uh, and if you find anything, that's great. You can make a bigger dig out of it if you find something. Um, if you don't, move on to the next section. And that's that's how you determine where you're going to dig. But you usually have a starting point beforehand, and you don't just walk into a field and like, I'm going to dig here. He's <laughs> like, it's good dirt. I'm going to dig here. <laughs> it's good dirt. It's good dirt. Let's dig. It's good dirt. Usually you have a reason to be in that location. Whether it's not the locals tell you there was something there, you do historical research, or you're walking around and you find something. Okay. It's all the questions I came up with. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Those are good questions, too. I love talking about archaeology. I know. I when just... I talk about it, too, sometimes it makes me think, like, oh, I do know something. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah. It's not like you have your, you know, printed, no. bound, hardcover thesis. Yeah, right. Like, it's not like there's a book with my name on it or anything like that, or a couple of degrees on the wall with my name yeah, on it no. or anything. But, uh, yeah, whenever, but it's just like, whenever you ask me the questions, like over text messages, I always, I have an answer, but I always verify what I'm talking about because I don't want to tell you something that's wrong. That's and I'm fair. like, it's, it's not often that I have to change what I was going to say, but I always do fact check myself first. And I'm just like, I always fact check. Because I don't want you to go and tell that to somebody else. And then I'll be like, that's not right. And you could be like, it is right. She has sources. <laughs> it's just like, uh. It's just like, uh. she has sources. So I like to be able to back up anything that either of us say. <laughs> so, but um, 
but yeah, I have such weird, random, eclectic knowledge of all kinds of things. So I, uh, I think out of all of the random topics I've ever studied for like classes, I think Dejima was my favorite because it was so different. Like studying an island that Japan made specifically so they didn't have to have people like on their island is really funny to me. And uh, you can, there's a replica. I mean, Dejima still exists. You can go there. Like if we okay. went to Japan, we could go to Dejima. But there's a replica of what it used to look like too um, in Kyoto as well. So it's really funny. But uh, yeah. I love talking about these things. I love talking about the archaeology digs. I love talking about, like, we did some of the things that, like, you do for archaeology and geology. They like to tell you to lick things. For some reason, the dirt-related science sciences are really into people putting shit in their mouths. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. But, like, geologists love to tell you to lick stuff. But so do archaeologists. They love to tell you to lick bones. Stick it to your tongue. If it sticks, it's bone. Yeah. And that is true. If you take the porous side and you stick it to the your tongue uh, and it sticks, it's it's probably bone. But guess what? You can also, if it's porous enough for it to stick to your tongue, it's porous enough for you to see it and tell that it's bone. Like you don't have Erin gave me the the look when I found that fish spine and she's like, Don't you dare stick that into your tongue. Uh -uh. <laughs> Do so I stared at it, and I'm just like, do I do it? It's like, mm, no, no. You take a picture of it, and you send it to your archaeology friend who can identify it for you. Which as, I did. Instead of sticking something that is, smells like ancient fish guts in your mouth. That was really the, the, the reason I did not yeah. test it via the archaeologist way, because I'm like, this, this shit smells, yeah. and I don't want that on my tongue. And like I've, I can honestly say I've never stuck bone in my mouth. I have no desire to. Like, like licking rocks is one thing. Licking, licking bone that you know was in a creature is something else. That's disgusting. Uh, we've in my archaeology dig, we came across bone. We came across a lot of fish bone, especially like just sea life bone. But we did come across from time to time human remains. So okay. Like I, uh, I hope any you of know that, that I'm going to be asking you about how long it takes for a body to decompose every now and again, right? Yeah, I assume so. Okay. I That is, in all honesty, the only useful thing that's come out of my degree so far. So, like, go for it. Like, this is the most I'm I've used on. my degree in forever. So, oh, but it is, it is fun to talk about archaeology. It's just not something I do very often. I, I've read stuff about it i come across stuff about it but like i wish i could do it i want to do it again like but i don't want to commit myself to a whole ass field season in florida oh. because for for one thing the heat is just insane it'll just That's knock fair. you on your ass but uh, again like it's a lot of like freelance stuff too especially in the beginning and i'm just like i don't have the stability for that kind of financial instability that's that's so. fair like, I know people who've done it, like people I was graduating with, and they went out and were archaeologists, like, yeah, that's great. But you also live in a household with, like, three or four other people. So whether you, yeah. how often you got paid didn't super matter. So that's fair. I mean, there are companies you can work for, too. Like, they're, like, um, search and stuff like that. You can work for them. But, uh, you know, like, I and I enjoy, I enjoy digging. I, I know you enjoy digging. 
Oh, I like can't wait for you. I can't wait to give you your Christmas present. Just gonna dig. I go dig. Just let me I dig. I know. Alrighty. Any final archaeological history questions you have for me before we wrap this up? As of now, no. Alright. As I start watching things and <laughs> texting you, yes. Yes, there will be That's questions. That's valid. That's valid. All right, guys, if you have any archaeological questions or history Please. questions, feel free to reach out to us. More than happy to talk about it. Make Misty's day. Yeah, like make make my day more interesting. Let me let me deep dive into some topics for you. Like fully willing to share my paper on Dejima with anybody who wants to see it. Like all of those papers just sit on a hard drive now. So thank you guys so, so much for joining us on a very history based episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Aaron, I hope you enjoyed it. And please, if you take nothing else away from this episode, take this away. All of those wonderful, gigantic, ancient things that you've heard about the hanging gardens of Babylon, the ancient, statues the gigantic buildings and temples and all of that the pyramids themselves were all built by human hands not aliens <laughs> do not believe the show ancient aliens i listened to that man talk about ancient aliens carving into rock faces when he was actually just describing the natural phenomenon of a plateau. He thought ancient <laughs> technology had been used by the aliens to cut off a piece of a mountain tip because there was no other explanation for it. That's and fucking hilarious. It's called a plateau. Please. That's fucking funny. Do not believe the ancient aliens show. Just don't. Just don't do it. Just don't, don't do it. And like, uh, just like, just believe that people can make shit. I'm also going to tell you a book not to read. Hang on. Book not to read. Okay. Chariots of the gods. Don't. Don't. Chariots of the gods. Oh, technologies and religions of many civilizations were given to them by ancient astronauts who were welcomed as gods. Ugh, I don't ever plan on it. Please don't read it. Don't take it as fact. It is not. Like, it, he it says there's irrefutable evidence of ancient alien astronauts that came and made, like, the pyramids and, like, the computer astronomy from the ink. No, just don't do it. Please don't do it. Just, the amount of just time stop. when I was working in castles and poor people, the amount of copies of the stupid book that I sold, and it's just like, and I can't look really? at people, yes, and I can't look at these people and go, that is the worst book you could be reading. Don't do it. So don't don't read Chariots of Fire because it's technically titled Chariots of Fire: A True Story, and it's not. Please don't read that book. Don't watch ancient aliens. Don't believe that ancient aliens had any part in ancient civilization. You can believe aliens exist now, but for the love of all that is good in this planet, which isn't a lot left, just believe that people understand how to use a goddamn chisel, like a chisel. It's so easy. Okay. Okay. That's my rant. <laughs>
Okay. I'm going to end it with a rant because, my God, I hate that book and that show. <laughs> they both suck so much. But like, uh, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. So I hope you guys had fun. I hope you learned something. Um, I hate if you guys are interested in seeing more episodes like this, please let us know. If you're listening to just interested in listening to us argue over aliens, that's a previous episode that we did. So you can go yeah, check out the alien that. episode uh, that we did a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys next time. Feel free to come by, check us out, social media at the Sorry Not Sorry Generation on Instagram or our website, Sorry Not Sorry uh, Generation as well. And uh, yeah. You can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And on YouTube. Literally. We have a YouTube channel. We have a YouTube. I said literally anywhere, yes. Yes. So literally, absolutely anywhere. Go check it out. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for more fuckery because we have some serious questions and concerns.